Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. Are you snuggled next to someone? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, one day. <laughs> Oh, well done for making it out this morning. Um, but you dropped me a little bit. I'm a little bit loud there. Um, it's good to see you on this lovely, I don't know about I'm, I was I was raised in Cape Town, so this for me is home. I love this weather. I'm just like, yes, it's nice, it's chilly, it's cool. Um, well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's the beginning of Holy Week, and uh, Holy Week, for, for those of us who, who don't know, who weren't raised Anglican or, or Catholic, <laughs> is, uh, is the beginning of the most important, most celebrated, most significant week in the Christian faith. This week of Holy Week, to give you an idea of how important it is, one half of the Gospel of John is devoted just to this week. Why? Well, it is the, it is the, it is the, it's the last week of Jesus' life. One half of the Gospel of John. Three-fifths of the Gospel of Mark are devoted to this one week of Jesus' life. Two-fifths of the Gospel of Matthew are devoted to this one week of Jesus' life, and one-third of the Gospel of Luke are devoted to this last week of Jesus' life. If you take the Gospels and you add all the chapters together, you get 89 chapters. Of those chapters, 29 are dealing with the last week of Jesus' life. That is the beginning of Holy Week. You can see that this is obviously a very significant, a very important time in our calendar. It's a very important time in the Gospels. It's a very important time in the fulfillment of prophecy. It's, it is a significant moment. These seven days, starting today with Palm Sunday, are the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, his ministry here on earth. And why wouldn't it be? Of course it would be. If you think about it just for a moment, I mean, everything that Jesus had been speaking about was coming to fulfillment in this week. Everything that was, he was preaching about or teaching about, everything that the prophets were foretelling were coming to fulfillment in this week. Even on the eve of this week, in John chapter 12, he declares to his disciples and he says this, he says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be lifted up to be glorified. Now is the time. Up until that moment, if you think about all the other scriptures before that, Jesus is always hiding from the crowds. He's always saying, shh, not yet. Don't tell anyone. Keep it high. He's ducking the crowds. He's hiding. He's performing miracles in secret. He's, it's like the secret ministry happening, and you just kind of want him to like, come on, you know, just, to, you know, get out there, and, and he's playing the secret. But now on the eve of Holy Week, now for the first time, he stands up and he says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so what happens on Palm Sunday is that he mounts a donkey in probably the, the village of Bethany, which was a village just outside of Jerusalem, which was, you know, not far away at all, just like a short walk to Bethany. Um, or Bethpage was also another little town there which possibly came from there. And he mounts a donkey that had never been ridden before. And he gets on the donkey, and he, and he goes on his way to Jerusalem, and he rides through the east gate of Jerusalem, and there are crowds of there were thousands and thousands of people gathered there that day. They were all coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. They had all heard the miracle about how he had raised Lazarus from the dead. The things, word was spreading. The crowd was getting hyped up. Everybody came running out. There he is. He's riding on a donkey. We don't really understand that. Maybe he should be on a horse. But anyway, he's on a donkey. And so they start throwing palm leaves down on the ground. They start taking off their clothes and laying them down on the ground. And they start singing, Hosanna in 
the highest and praise be to God. Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to the King of Israel. They start singing Old Testament scriptures of praise and psalms. And there's thousands of people celebrating, waving these palm branches, throwing them on the ground. There's Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And for the first time, Jesus is like, yeah. Who the man? <laughs> Who's the son of man? He's accepting the praise. He's, he's, he's not telling them to keep quiet or anything. And the Pharisees are horrified at this moment. They were like, what? Look at how these people are worshiping a man. This is disgusting. This is blasphemy. This is terrible. They push through the crowds to get to Jesus, and they look at Jesus, and they point their fingers up his nose, and they say, Jesus, Tell your disciples to keep quiet. Rebuke them for worshiping like this. And Jesus, sitting on the donkey while the crowds are still going crazy, says, even if they were to keep quiet, the stones <laughs> would rise up and begin to sing praises. Even the stones would begin to get worship. Come on, people. Can you just feel Palm Sunday for a moment? There's something significant about this moment. This hidden Messiah is being revealed. This Messiah who was doing things in secret is suddenly out in the open receiving the praise that is due to his name. And he's riding into Jerusalem unlike any other time before that. Something significant is happening here. Something greater, something bigger. There's a fulfillment of something happening in this moment. There's like a... You can feel that there's, this is a moment not to be missed. This is a moment that we have to pay attention because it's different to every other moment before this moment. And it really is exactly that. This is the moment of so much scripture being fulfilled. This is the moment. This is what he was born to do. Even in the gospels, he said, now my soul is grieved, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this very reason, I have come forth. For this very purpose, I was manifested. You can feel that there's this collision of purpose and destiny that's now beginning to manifest and everything that the prophets have spoken about and prophesied and everything Jesus had talked about and hundreds of years of ritual in temple, temple ritual that was, that was put out as a beginning, as a metaphorical sign to Israel of what they were stewarding, all that is now being fulfilled in this moment. Can you say the word fulfilled? Can you say it again? Fulfilled. This is a moment where things are being fulfilled. Oh, what a beautiful word, fulfilled. What a lovely word, amen? Isn't it great when a promise is? Isn't it wonderful when there's a dream and a hope and a vision or just a word or a prophetic something and a, and and and. And it's, and it's just a word. It doesn't exist in any material way. It doesn't, it's not, we can't touch it, feel it or something. And then there it is, right there. It's fulfilled. Maybe for, for years you're trusting God for a baby and there's nothing. And it's just a word. It's just a promise. It's just a hope. It's just a something. And, and then all of a sudden, they're born. And you're holding what God had promised all those years. There's a fulfillment. Or maybe it was you know, the promise that you're going to finish your degree and then, you know, all hell broke loose. <laughs> and you started, but it took a little longer and they were just against all odds and, and you just never thought it was going to happen and then family issues and then financial issues and then you had to get a job and then there was something else and then your night learning and then you went back to campus and then you're standing in your gown on graduation day. And the promise was fulfilled. Or maybe it was that God said you were going to preach one day. Or maybe it was that God said you were going to stand in parliament one day. And then, you know, you went through life and all these difficult things and all this stuff happened. And you don't really understand all of it. But there you are on that morning ready to deliver your first sermon or your first speech. And there you are in parliament. It is a promise. Say the word again. Fulfilled. fulfilled. 
how beautiful it is when a promise is fulfilled. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And you know what it says in Proverbs 13? It says this, Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred, or a promise, say the word, is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing or a promise fulfilled is what? A tree of life. People, this final week of Jesus' life is a promise fulfilled. I mean, we, let's rewind the clock all the way back to Genesis 3. It's a promise from there. Let's go to, to Abraham. It's a promise there. Well, let's even go, what about Moses and coming out of Egypt? Even from there, this final week of Jesus' life, is a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled. All of the, everything that he had been promising is, comes to a fulfillment in this moment. And it's where we see the tree of life, Jesus, sown into the ground like a seed and darkness to break through the ground and become a tree of life and healing for the nations. A promise fulfilled the tree of life, that is the final week of Jesus' life. That's what we start to celebrate this day in Palm Sunday. But you know what? It's a promise fulfilled to us. It's a tree of life to us because we have the benefit of hindsight in the Scriptures. <laughs> To those who went through that week with Jesus, it was anything but a promise fulfilled. It was anything but a tree of life. It was hope deferred. Their hearts were sick with grief and disappointment. It was a time of testing, trial, difficulty, confusion, and absolute grief and disappointment. Everything that they had been hoping for, everything that they'd been setting their goals on, everything that they'd been aiming at. Yes, this is the moment where the Messiah will be revealed. This is the moment where our ministry really gets going, boys. This is the moment where, you know, he takes over and Jerusalem is freed from Rome. This is it. This is, this is the moment that we've been waiting for. And what do they get? The crucifixion and torture and pain and bloodshed and their Messiah, the one that they were hoping in, the one that they were thinking about, is murdered. The hands of the pagans hung on a cross of all things, of all ways to die, of all methods of torture, the cross given to him. And they see it with their eyes. And not only in that moment, they deny him and they walk away. And Peter goes back to his old life of fishing. And there's just this despair, hope deferred, hearts that are sick. And they're walking in absolute disappointment. Was anything but a promise fulfilled to them? They didn't understand what God's doing in the moment. They didn't understand the time and the season that they were in. And because of that, they ended up in a whole lot of disappointment, hurt, and grief. And it's the same for you and me as well. You know, when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, when we don't understand what he's trying to do, we can also get really disappointed <laughs> and heartsick and end up in a whole lot of grief as well. This morning, I want us to jump into the story of Holy Week and just soak ourselves in it for a moment because in it, there is a truth that can really help you with some of the disappointments that maybe you've gone through in the last year or two, or more even. <laughs> there's something in this story, there's something in here that if we can just understand 
And if we can just see, it can really help us to process some of the disappointments that we've been through. So let's go and immerse ourselves in the scriptures, but let's pray before we do. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Lord, your word brings life, healing, and direction. And we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. Join me in Exodus, and let's fully immerse ourselves in Passover, the final week of Jesus' life, and Palm Sundays. And we're going to go to Exodus chapter 12, and it's going to come up on the screen there. But what we're doing is we're going to rewind. I've been talking about this being a promise fulfilled. So we're going to rewind the clock. We could start in Genesis. We could go there, but we're going to go to Exodus and we're going to start there, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where we see some of the promises begin to emerge about this final week of Jesus' life. Verse 3 of 12, chapter 12, says the following. It says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take himself a lamb, According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb, jumping to verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it, say keep it. Come on, I need you to t preach with me. It's cold today. Keep it. There we go. All right. Now you shall keep it until what? The 14th day. Of the same month. So when do you take it? On the 10th of the month of this month, the very first month, all right, the month of Nisan in Israel. And you keep it till the 14th day. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now, what we're looking at here is a nation enslaved. All right, this is a nation suffering under the whip of Pharaoh, tortured, a horrible life of slavery, and God comes with the promise of deliverance. I'm going to take you out of there, and I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. Amen? I'm going to take you out of this place, put you in a new place. And isn't it interesting that, you know, he could have sent, I don't know, Arnold Schwarzenegger angels, what, what, you know, like... You know, Rambo angels, he could have sent, you know, Chuck Norris angels, <laughs> you know, and just like, you know, and then the job is done. But isn't it interesting that he chooses a way of ritual, a way of ritual in order to release them from Egypt? And in this ritual, something interesting happens. They take a lamb on the 10th day of the first month and they keep it with them for four days. And then they kill the lamb, and later on in the verses, it talks about putting the blood on the wooden doorposts of their houses, and that night, the spirit of death came and passed over. It's called the Passover, and they, they were saved. Where metaphorical. It was something that God was telling of God would come and be sacrificed, and his blood would be put on the wooden cross, and he would be rescuing us, not from Pharaoh, but from Satan, from sin, and from death. Death passes over us. Come on. Isn't that a good thing right now? You know, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, saints, when you breathe your last, you enter into eternal life, life eternal. You know, if your only hope is the grave, people, come on. If that's it, if the grave is it, well then what kind of life should we just live now? But Jesus rescues us from the grave, from the pit, from darkness, from sin, from Satan, and he gives us eternal life. And all of that is contained in this ritual that the Israelites had to fulfill every single year on the 10th of Nisan, they were to select a lamb without blemish. It's really interesting that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what day? Palm Sunday? But what day was it? 
It was the 10th of Nisan. <laughs> what? Yeah. On the 10th of Nisan, the lamb selection day, the day that you would go out to the flock and look for that lamb that was without spot, without blemish, that perfect lamb was the very day that Jesus sat on a donkey. And he sat on a donkey, by the way, rabbit hole, because kings in those days, when they would go and make peace, they would ride on a donkey. But when they would go and make war, they would ride on a horse. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is riding a horse. Here he's riding a donkey. Why? He was bringing terms of peace. Jesus purchased peace with God for us in that moment. There's a day coming when he's going to come in righteous judgment on the earth, and a day of war will happen. But first... He came on a donkey in peace, and he rode into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day, people. The very day where people were looking for, where is the lamb without spot? Where is the lamb without blemish? Let us take it into our homes. Let's go find it. Where, on that very day, there comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Come on, people. The lamb without spot or blemish, fulfilling hundreds of years of prophecy right there. And isn't it interesting that he says, keep it for four days in this passage. For four days, Jesus stayed in the temple teaching and preaching. The final four days, I mean, a lot of amazing things. And, you know, that was the day where he made a whip and he drove people out the temple that was the following day. You know, it was the day when he cursed the fig tree. It was when, give to Caesar what is his. There was so much teaching and so much stuff that happened, but he stayed four days with them. And then he was crucified on the on the fifth day, on the day where actually the very sacrifices were being performed. The sacrifices had to be performed before noon of the Sabbath and the very hour where they were actually making temple sacrifices was the very hour that Jesus was put on the cross. All the hours are kept. They're there in the Gospels for us, for record, so that we know. All the hours of the temple sacrifices are there in the Old Testament. They're all kept for us so we can just easily link the one to the other and go, wow, this is the promise of God finding fulfillment in Jesus. Let me give you an idea of what Holy Week looks like. Evie, if you wouldn't mind just putting up that Holy Week graphic. So it starts with Palm Sunday, which is this day, okay? Then Jesus is in the temple for four days, and then on Thursday, there's Passover celebration. Now, remember, he celebrated the Passover with that meal from Exodus with his disciples in the upper room. Remember, he washed their feet. Remember, he said, this is the cup of my blood, which is shed for you. This, this is the bread. This is my body that is broken for you. He brought meaning to the actual Passover ceremony. He's saying, like, guys, listen, right from the beginning, this has been prophesying about me. And he celebrated that with his disciples. And then Good Friday, he was crucified. And then on Sunday, he rose again. This is Holy Week, people. This is the week that we remember that, that we reflect on that. And I want to encourage you, don't let this week just go by with another busy week in your life. Don't let this week just pass on and just like, hey, you know, yeah, now this thing and now that thing and work this and work that. We're in Holy Week. You're in Holy Week. Take a moment. Stop. Don't go the way of the world. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Immerse yourself in some of these readings. And let's observe. Because I can tell you now there's truth in this for us. There's truth. Something God woke me up with something at 2.30 this morning, just mulling over this, mulling over this, and gave me something that I've never seen before. Something I want to share with you this morning. Something that's going to help some of you. There's truth in here. There's revelation in here. There's healing in here. There's deliverance in here. So if you want to celebrate a Passover dinner in your ho own home, we've got a, like a little guide to enable you to do that. We'll, we'll send it out on the WhatsApp. If you, we'll send it out to everyone. If you haven't received it, ask the church for it, and we'll send it to you. Just a little document of how you can have a Passover dinner in your own home with your family. Maybe invite some around. Maybe do it as a connect group. Set apart Thursday evening. Make it a Passover evening. Maybe read some of the scriptures. Immerse yourself in this thing. Amen. Let's remember our heritage. We've been grafted in to Israel and the promises and the covenants. Israel has stewarded that 
ritual for thousands of years, even to this very day. It's really, you know, sometimes as Christians, we, we, we can't steward much when it comes to our faith. They've stewarded it for thousands of years. Let's remember what we've been grafted into. Amen? Amen. So do that on Thursday. I encourage you. Friday night, we're going to have a night of worship, prayer, ministry, dance, drama, poetry. We're just going to have a night here Friday, 5.30 p.m. We're going to gather, and we're going to reflect on Good Friday. We're going to reflect on the cross and what that means to us, and we're going to worship, and we're going to praise Him on that night. And I want to encourage you to come here Friday, 5.30 p.m. And then on Sunday, we will remember Resurrection Sunday, that death could not hold Him down, people. (laughs) On that day, we're going to have water baptisms. We have a few sign-ups. If you have not yet been water baptized, next Sunday here in church, we will baptize you. The way you do that, just go to our website, click events, and sign up online, and we will help you understand what that all means, and we can get you baptized in water. What a significant moment in a believer's life. It can be a turning point for you. Jump with me to the book of Daniel. Let's go. Come on. Book of Daniel, chapter 9. We're talking about prophecies being fulfilled. Daniel chapter 9 says the following. Now, this is Daniel. He says, now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. Did you get that? Did you get that? I'm really asking you a question. Did you get that? Like, Daniel is telling us from the time that a command goes out to rebuild Jerusalem exactly when the Messiah will come. And he gives us weeks. Oh, isn't that amazing? Let's carry on. Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and it was, with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. And yes, it was extremely perilous times when it was rebuilt. And he said, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Guys, that all happened exactly. (laughs) I mean, you know, 30-something years, 40 years after Jesus, the temple was destroyed just as it was prophesied here, and the city was destroyed as well. So there's a couple things that Daniel's prophesying here. He prophesies when Messiah will come, the fact that the Messiah will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and the city and the temple will be destroyed. And he gives us the exact timing. He says seven sets of, sorry, seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven will pass. Until the, from the time the command goes out. There was a man called Sir Robert Anderson, and he's written a book called The Coming Prince. And in this book, he's a historian, and he's gone and, gone and done some calculations. Amen? And, you know, that's what historians do. They, like, want to work out numbers and history and dates and all that sort of stuff. So he goes and works out, okay, when did the command go out to rebuild Jerusalem and how much is 62 sevens? And he works out lunar years and calculates days and he works out how much days it is. And he works out that, okay, so the command went out here. So this is how many days it was until Messiah would come prophesied by Daniel. And guess what he calculated? That the very day, the 10th of Nisan, AD 32, The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was the day of the fulfillment of that prophecy when Messiah would be revealed. No, no, there's like some competing, you know, calculations on that. And some people say, no, it was a different date. And you write on a different date. That doesn't take anything away from the significance of what Daniel, hundreds of years before Jesus came, told us what would happen in that very time. I mean, even the fact that he says there, having appeared to accomplish nothing. You know, when Jesus rode on that donkey into Jerusalem to thousands of adoring people singing Hosanna, you know what happened that day? 
He walked into the temple. Can you imagine? The city's electric. He walks into the temple. Here he gets off the donkey, walks into the temple, looks around, looks around, says, okay, boys, let's go home. And they walked home. I mean, talk about an anti-climax. <laughs> talk about an anti-climax. I mean, just, would you, would you, would you, you, and the people, and then you just go home. Yeah. Appearing to have accomplished nothing. I mean, even, can you see how precise Scripture is? Can we just appreciate what we, what we actually have in our hands here? I'm studying Old Testament at the moment, and you know what I've, like I've like discovered? Jesus had the Old Testament, like a hundred, more than 100 years, it was canonized before Jesus was born. That means we have all of these prophecies more than 100 years before Jesus was actually born, canonized in Scripture. I mean, guys, if you go look at the Old Testament, what we find is that the fact that he rode on a donkey was prophesied by Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Here comes your king riding on a donkey. It was prophesied. His betrayal by a friend was prophesied in Sam, sorry, in Psalm 41. The exact price of his betrayal and how the money would be used thereafter was prophesied in Zechariah 11. The fact that he would be forsaken by his disciples was prophesied in Zechariah 13. That he would be silent before his accusers in Isaiah 53. His torture, the piercing of his hands and his feet, his thirst on the cross, the fact that they gave him vinegar, the fact that they mocked him, that they uh, pierced his side but broke none of his bones, the fact that they cast lots for his garments, the fact that he would be crucified between sinners, though being innocent, the fact that he would be laid in a rich man's tomb was all prophesied (laughs) before he was even born. I mean, when we talk about Scripture being fulfilled, This is what we're talking about here. Even the significance of him hanging on a wooden cross with a crown of thorns. People, what do thorns symbolize? In the the Old Testament, they symbolize the curse. Remember when the earth became cursed, it brought forth thorns. In Galatians 3.13, Paul says this, he became a curse for us so that the blessing might come upon us, for it is written, everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. Right in that moment, he took the weight of the curse that was on creation and liberated us from that curse. We don't sit under that curse anymore. He became a curse for us. But all of it spoken about before then. I mean, look at Psalm 22 for just a moment. Can we just appreciate the word? 16 says, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. And Jesus, as he was hung on that cross, because he was whipped with the the tail of 40 lashes or whatever that thing is, that thing is literally is leather uh, straps with pieces of bone and metal tied into the end. And as they were whipping him, it would wrap around him and they'd pull it off and it would literally rip chunks of flesh off his torso. When he hung there, he literally could count his bones because his flesh had been ripped from his body. Many people didn't even survive that. In Psalm 22, hundreds of years before he was born, they pierced my hands, my feet, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me, they divide my garments among them and my, for my clothing they cast lots. That was canonized before Jesus was born. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet when this was written. (laughs) This was written in the time of David, like 900 before Christ. I mean, the Roman Empire wasn't even existence yet. They're the ones who brought crucifixion out. They pierced my hands and my feet. Guys, this is incredible. 
This week is amazing. It was ritual fulfilled. It was prophecy fulfilled. And it happened just as God planned it to happen and just as God said it would be happen. John chapter 12. What I find amazing about all of this is that the disciples, I mean, here's Jesus riding on a donkey like Zechariah prophet, prophesied on the day that Daniel spoke about and was spoken about in Exodus. They're riding into Jerusalem and they still cannot see what Scripture is telling them. John 12, 16 says, now Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. But after he was raised and exalted into glory, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies in the scriptures that were written about him. Why didn't they understand what was going on? I mean, they had all the scriptures, they had all the prophecies, they had everything, yet they still didn't see. It was because they got the first coming and the second coming mixed up. Their theology actually wasn't right. And because their theology wasn't right, they didn't understand the times and seasons, and because they didn't understand the times and seasons, they ended up disappointed and confused. They got the first coming mixed up with the second coming. They thought Jesus was coming to fulfill the prophecies of, uh, of justice, that he would come riding in, save Israel from all his captives, set up the kingdom of God on earth. You know, the, but all of those prophecies now we know in the benefit of hindsight are talking about the second coming of Jesus. The first coming, he comes in peace. The second one, he comes in war. And they didn't understand. They got the two mixed up, and therefore they got disappointed. They didn't understand the time or the season that they were going through. And can I maybe suggest this morning that sometimes we also end up disappointed in life because maybe our theology is wrong <laughs> and maybe we also don't understand the time and season we're in and therefore we get disappointed and hurt as well. What do I mean by this? Well, be honest for a moment. If you could have this world your way, if you could just have everything, if you imagine you're just master of all of this right now. If you could have the world your way, I'm pretty sure, like me, you would say, none of my friends or family die. Yeah. We all live forever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we'd all say that. Yeah. Wouldn't we? Yeah. Come on, we want them all to stay with us forever. That's what, we, that's what we would want. Wouldn't we say, like, wouldn't we want that everything we touch prospers. Wouldn't we want a world where thieves don't break in and steal and rust doesn't destroy the things that we have and wars aren't breaking out and causing the price of petrol to rocket? <laughs> and wouldn't we, want, wouldn't we want all of that? People, I want you to know that Jesus purchased all of that for you it's just not yet. What Jesus purchased for us in Holy Week is way more than that. <laughs> it is that and so much more. It's, it's, I mean, even, wouldn't you agree with me? You don't want your body to decay and get older. Come on, those of us in our 40s now, who, how many of you are feeling that crank when you wake up and that, oh, that, that thing and then, and you can't just go for a run anymore, you actually have to warm up because if you just run without warming up, you're gonna crick your neck or break your ankle or something, you know? It's like, wouldn't we want these bodies just to stay gorgeous and beautiful and amazing? Nothing dying, everything working out. Jesus purchased a new body for you. It's just not yet. It's not yet. It's there. He's promised it to you. 
And he gives us the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You know, sometimes it's hard to believe that it's all going to work out that way. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's, sometimes it's hard to believe that it's actually that's what we're going to have. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee that everything that he's promised, he's good for. That we will have all of that. It's just not yet. And so, this is where sometimes we get our theology wrong. And this is why we sometimes end up very disappointed. Is because we're trying to have our second life now, our eternal life now, instead of living our first life now, and then have our second life. They got the first coming mixed up with the second coming. They were hoping for the second, and they got the first. And what are you hoping for? The second, but you have the, the first. Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, this body is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in strength. It's sown in dishonor, but it's going to be raised in honor. It's sown in mortality, but it raised in immortality. It's sown in weakness, but it is raised in glory and strength. The second is still to come. And if you are trying to build the second now, and if your hope is for the second now, chances are you're going to end up disappointed. Chances are that you're, you're going to find yourself confused. You know, the crowds, when Jesus on Palm Sunday was being who they thought or wanted him to be, gave him palms. But when he wasn't being what they wanted him to be, they gave him thorns. So they worship him when he's meeting their expectations. But when he's not meeting their expectations and he doesn't do anything, goes into the temple or whatever, they crucify him. And this is how a lot of Christians live their life, is that I worship God when he's meeting all my expectations. When he's being the Messiah, I want him to be because I'm building my second life now. And then as soon as he's not doing that, we give him thorns. We get all thorny to God. Mm, God, you're not meeting my expectations. You're not helping me to live the perfect life right now. You're not, and we get all thorny. Amen, come on. Let's be honest. Am I the only one? <laughs> we get really thorny when he's not meeting our expectations. And it's because our theology is just a little bit wrong. We're supposed to be living our first life now and our second life later. If them are the owner of the donkey <laughs> and the owner of the upper room, never mentioned in Scripture. But to give you an idea of how this works out and how we're meant to live our first life now, let me tell you, Jesus instructs his disciples to go into Bethany and find him a donkey that's never been sat on before. And if you find the donkey and take the donkey and someone says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Then tell him the master needs it and it'll be fine. Can you imagine being those disciples? <laughs> so there they go <laughs> to look for a donkey. Jesus hasn't given them a location pin, a street address. He didn't go and order the donkey on the donkey app and then show them the receipts and say, just show this to the guy or anything like that, okay? Go get the donkey. Same thing happens on the, on the Passover day. He's like, guys, go into the town. You're going to see someone carrying water. Follow them. And they're going to go into a house and then look for the master of that house. And when you get in there, ask the master, is the upper room ready? And then the master will give it to you. And they go and they do that. No location pin, no street. They didn't book it on Airbnb. You know, there was no, like, nothing. It was just go find it. So they obeyed. And they went. 
And the owners of the donkey and the room gave. They sowed. I don't know what they had an angel visitation the night before saying, hey, guys are going to show up here, give them the room or give them the donkey. I don't know if it was anything miraculous or fantastic like that, but often it's not. Often the way God works is just this inner witness like, I know I need to give my donkey today. Or I know I need to make this room amazing because it's going to be used for something. And it's just an unction and it's just a, you know, something in my spirit, man. And I, and I just, so I furnish the upper room and I make it completely ready with this water, there's everything in there. And then this moment comes and someone says, we're looking for it. And it's like, it's ready. It's there. People, these are, if you're looking for us and if you're looking for a description of our first life, look no further. This is us. We obey what he says. We often go without knowing. (laughs) And we give when we tell him to give. And he takes all of that and he uses it so that he can be lifted up and draw all men unto himself. We are living in the time and the age where Jesus must be lifted up. People have to sow their donkeys. People sowed so that we could have this building one day. People give their upper rooms. You have to open up your room for a connect group, your lounge for a connect group. People had to sow and, and provide and go and obey and everything in order for Holy Week to happen precisely as God intended it to happen. This is our first life. This is the life that we're living now. It's one where we sow, give, sacrifice, lay up. Why? So Jesus can be exalted, so he can draw all men to him because the second coming is coming. And we don't know how soon it is, but people, I can tell you, it's very soon. And unlike the disciples who had the benefit of living through the first coming and going, oh, that's why, we're not going to be able to have that benefit. Once the second coming, we're not going to have like more time thereafter where we can go, oh, it's the second coming. Like they were like, oh, it's the first coming. We're not going to have that benefit. When he comes, it's done. So the time we're in right now, It's a time of sowing, obeying, listening to his word, following his word, lifting up Jesus wherever we can, doing whatever we can to make sure that he is highly exalted so that he can draw all men unto himself because the second coming is coming. Amen? Can we stand to our feet? I don't want you to walk out here, I just want to clarify this, without any hope for this life. Like, okay, so we can't have our second life now, ish. What can I actually hope for? (laughs) There's a big difference between trying to live your second life now, your eternal life now. Big difference between trying to live your second life now and living for the kingdom now, living for heaven on earth. One is wrapped up in comfort and protection, trying to hold on to your life, trying to save your life. The other is about expecting heaven on earth, for God to move, for revival to break out, for souls to get saved, for disciples to be made. There's a big difference between the two. Where do we put our hope? We put our hope in that the kingdom will come in all its fullness, and we're gonna experience all the fullness of it, amen? You got that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for healing grace just to flow this morning. Let your grace just wash over us this morning, Lord. Let your healing power just come. Lord, we are disappointed. Things haven't worked out the way we thought. We want to protect our lives. We want to hold on to everything that's meaningful and important. And Lord, we want to just have all of what you've promised and we want to have it all now. But Lord, this morning we just realize it's just not yet. We will have it. It's just not yet. And I pray this morning that you would help us not to live comfort-driven lives where we're just worshiping you because you're meeting our expectations. But help us to live servant lives 
where we're obeying, we're going, we're saving, we're spending, we're doing it so that you can be lifted up and that all men will know who you are. For Lord, we want to be living in the time and the season for which we were created. We want to be accurate about our lives. We want our lives to be accurate, Lord God. We want to be walking in the time, in the season, Lord God, expecting what we should be expecting in this time. Where you are today, maybe you can just lay down your life afresh. Jesus said, if you try and love your life or save your life, you're going to lose it. He said, don't store up treasures on earth. Moth and rust and thieves break in, destroy it. Rather store up treasures in heaven. For where your heart will be, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Can you just redirect your life towards heaven's treasures? This morning, can you just lay down your life afresh and say, Lord, this life I'm living right now is actually a seed and I sow it for you. Sow it for you. Sow it for your kingdom. Sow it for your glory. What's most important is that you lift it up right now. Not that we live comfort lives, but that you are lifted up. Lord, I pray this morning that you make us like those disciples who just obeyed and went, who just gave, who sowed, so that you could be lifted up. Make us a church like that, I pray this morning, Lord. Make us a church like that, Lord. May we not run after a false gospel, Lord. I pray, protect us, Lord, from a false gospel, Lord. Promising us our best lives now when you've promised us eternal life later. And there's nothing that can trump that. Nothing that can trump that. Let healing grace flow this morning. Lord, where there's been disappointment and heartache because things haven't worked out the way we thought they would work out, I pray this morning for your healing power to flood through us as a church, to flood through us and cause us to rise again, to trust again to worship again. No matter what, come what may, 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 we'll be praising you at the end of every day. Come what may, come what may, come what may, we'll be praising you at the end of every day. Come what may, come what may, At the end of every day, we'll be praising you. I pray for a realignment of our hearts and our treasures this morning. May we not be those foolish people that you spoke about, building up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, Lord. I pray that this week, would you just redirect us, Lord, Just refocus us on what's most important, what's most essential for the times that we're in right now. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at iandurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.